Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the Bikes or Death podcast. I'm your host, Patrick, and today I sat down with Greg Hardy, who is the owner and founder of Rockgeist. They're based out of Asheville, North Carolina, and they make some cool shit, so uh, we had a lot of fun talking. Greg was a great first guest. He made it easy on me. Uh, really enjoyed talking to him, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. So here we go. Let's get to it. Hardy. Hello. We're live. Awesome, man. Yeah. Thank you uh, so much for inviting me, well, allowing me to come to your shop here in Asheville, North Carolina. So we are in Rock Guys World headquarters right now. Yeah, man. Uh, definitely invite. Absolutely. Uh, welcome. I'm happy to, to have you. Yeah. Very excited. You seem to be a busy man. It seems like last weekend you were doing like a, a county fair or something. Yeah, last weekend I was in uh, Charlotte for the Whitewater Center uh, Outdoor Market Festival. Um, and But yeah, there's a lot of, uh, the fall is a busy season. Um, it's prime riding in uh, Western North Carolina and the Southeast in general. Um, and so a lot of races going on are about to happen. Um, and of course the, the outdoor market scene, uh, Brewery talks. We got to talk tonight. Um, if you're going to be around, definitely yeah. invited to that at Archetype uh, Brewing. That's what I'm saying. So last weekend you did that. Now you're sitting here with me on a Friday. We're recording a podcast. And then after this, you got to cut it off and you're going to go give a talk on bike packing. Is that just a day in the life of owning a, a shop? <laughs> I mean, you know, a year ago, no, absolutely not. It's it's definitely grown um, in the last probably year and a half. That's when I um, went full time with the company. Mm-hmm. And um, things kind of um, slowly kind of gotten to where they are today. What what happened a year and a half ago? That well, I quit my my job that I was working nine to five, and um, previously I was um, doing Rock Geist for about three and a half years, just as like um, part time as a hobby. And uh, I got to the point where um, I want to take it um, full time, uh, and that's when I. Uh, quit that job and started this full-time and moved to Asheville. So what brought you to Asheville? I was going to ask you that. I got here uh, into Brevard on Wednesday. We rode some single track there in DuPont Forest yesterday. It was fantastic. I mean, it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, I, I honestly think that was the best day I've ever had on a bike in my whole life, and I'm not exaggerating. It was really good. So um, I'm curious how you got to Asheville. Yeah, so I'm I'm from New York originally, and I moved to North Carolina. Um, let's see, ten years ago now, um, to Durham for grad school, uh, and that kind of exposed the, the world of mountain biking to me. Uh, that's when I first um, started mountain biking and bike packing. Uh, shortly thereafter, um, but in terms of Asheville, I mean, if you're gonna um, pick um, a bike packing hub. Um, in the southeast, I think this is a great city for that. Um, there's certainly uh, lots of awesome adventure towns in the southeast, um, but like you said, the riding here is amazing. Um, but in terms of business, um, the people are also incredible here. Um, lots of design history, textile uh, work happening in Asheville and has been for a very long time. And so the people make it really a great place um, to to kind of leverage that um, bike industry culture here, the textile culture, and the design with all the other outdoor gear companies that reside here. So when you were looking to uh, 
bass rock guy somewhere, you identified Asheville for those reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but certainly when you're, you know, it was when I, at the time when I quit my job, it, it was just me. And I knew if I really wanted to have an impact, um, I needed help. I needed to have people mm-hmm. um, uh, in terms of growing the company. And it's going to be more than just me. So um, I, for, for sure, I thought Asheville would be the best place to, to kind of integrate um, with these types of people here. Well, from what I've seen, you found a really incredible spot. I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, this is the, the where we're at right now is uh, used to be an old uh, textile mill, um, hence the name Mill at Riverside. Okay. Uh, and yeah, it's really great space. We got about uh, three thousand square feet to work with, um, and um, we moved in, and it was um, virtually empty. And then a year and a half later, um, it's getting pretty crowded in here now. So you moved into the shop a year and a half ago. Yep. Man, it's set up nice in here. If you are in the area, do you like welcome uh, walk-ins and have oh, people absolutely. stop by? And, yeah, please do. We yeah. keep hours from 10 to 2, so you just show up. No need to, to coordinate. But if you want to meet outside the, those times, just shoot And me you're email. right on a, a river here. I don't even know. I didn't look up which one it is, but yeah, you man. a nice setting. So th- this is the river. It's uh, the French Broad right out, right out the front door. Um, and that is... Um, uh, I guess there's a coffee shop right down the street or right down the, um, I guess, driveway here. There's about 30. The trail, right? There's, there's an yeah. old railroad that goes down where the road is now. Yeah. There, so we're we're in a building with about 30 other companies. Um, and some are really big, some are really small. Um, and it's a good collection of, of uh, I guess, outdoor manufacturing and um, just manufacturing in general um, happening here. Yeah. It's super cool. Tell me about this job. What were you doing nine to five before um, you you quit what, what was yeah that? i was working as a material scientist um uh for a company that designed medical devices wow okay so interesting so you you had a little bit more background and experience in in, in materials and textiles and or tactiles and, and designing things or yeah I, I mean i i went to grad school um for material science and so i i did biomaterials um and that led me to the medical device side mm-hmm. of things. So I didn't really study um, textiles or um, I guess non-implantable devices essentially, like um, mechanical engineering was also part of the program, but um, it was a small element. I was really heavy on the biology. Interesting. So how did you get into making bike packing gear? Yeah, so part of my uh, grad school work, I was living in, in Germany and uh, my lab mate at the time was sewing clothes for her family. She had two young daughters, and uh, I just was really kind of interested in that. That that was kind of the norm um, for for her and her community was to make clothing for your family. And I was doing a big hike um, after um, my work was finished there, and she helped me make a few small items, and that kind of piqued my interest in what sewing could do. Um, in terms of creativity and design, it kind of satisfies uh, a part of me that um, I was looking to to kind of make a career with. So it was intentional that you were you were looking for an opportunity to do something different with your life than working the nine to five, or what was the impetus there? Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I don't think it was actually looking to leave, and I think you know maybe a, a, you know it wasn't so so much that it was a nine to five. It was just more of a traditional job where I was um, working in a, in a cube with a computer. And when I wasn't in that office, I was in a lab um, doing experiments with pigs. 
and that I really kind of wasn't really stoked on 100%. Um, it certainly um, led me to that job was with, with that, um, uh, I guess, seeking that creativity and design work. I mean, that's exactly what I was doing. Um, but with that came a lot of uh, paperwork. Um, FDA is really challenging to navigate. Mm. Um, and that took a lot of my time. Um, and it's also really tough when you're doing medical devices. Um, I was so far upstream. You know, I was doing new concepts, uh, feasibility experiments. And so this is basically um, so much more needs to happen in order to have something commercialized. And I was so far away from that. It's like hitting a home run if a project I worked on actually makes it to market. Um, and that was kind of frustrating to see a lot of projects sit on the shelf or get killed for business reasons, for technical reasons. Um, there's really a, a ton of reasons why something doesn't get to market. Yeah. You know? Well, I can see the advantage then now I mean, you have a creative license to pretty much do whatever you want, design whatever you want, and you put it out on market. You just can't control it whether or not someone's going to buy it or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly safety is is an element to everything we, we put out, but not so much as a medical device. Absolutely. Yeah. So take me back to the beginning. What was the first uh, bag or, or bikepacking product that you designed? And was it for personal use or... Uh, yeah, so I was, I guess I was in grad school and I was doing the Arizona trail race for the first time and I needed, what year was this? Oh man, 2014. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or maybe 13, I can't remember, but, uh, it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago when I was doing my first race and, um, it was a harness system and, you know, maybe one or two feed bags. Um, and I had a, a Revelate, uh, kind of half frame bag and their saddle bag, their larger saddle bag. Um, and then I needed something for the cockpit. And so I made a few items for that. Did you go off of any other designs you had seen or did you just kind of wing it? I just kind of, um, well, yeah, I, I did wing it. Um, I probably should have done a little more research. Um, the gear I made for that trip, um, barely made it to the, to the end. Um, I was doing the 300 race that, that year. Okay. Um, and yeah, seams were popping, stitches, um, buckles were breaking. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like opens your eyes to how much more work needs to, to yeah. be done. But it was enough to, to get the job done. Cool. Well, I'm really interested to hear about more about the AZT. But um, before we get into that a little bit later, uh, so we were talking about your, your bags and like that was your first one. So how did you get into, hey, I, I might be able to make a business out of this? Yeah, I think that um, it kind of stemmed from I did it long enough as a hobby where I basically tested the water. I was like, okay, this is something I actually enjoy doing and I could see myself doing it full time. Um, that was really the commitment. I mean, I wasn't really worried about quality at that point because I think I could I could get there if I just spent the time doing it. Um, but I needed to make sure I was going to buy into the whole um, profession because you know, once you quit your job and start something, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to turn back. Um, there's plan B for sure. Um, but I'm not relying on a plan B to, you know, to, to make this be a success. Yeah. Well, that, that's probably the way you have to do it. If you want to be successful at something, you're going to really need to put yourself into it. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, from what I can tell, it seems like, um, your hard work is definitely paying off. Yeah, and it's it's a slow process, um, and uh, I appreciate that. That's 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 um, that's nice to hear. But yeah, I mean, there's we have a long way where um, we want to get to. Yeah. yeah. What what's one of the biggest challenges that 
running a business, I mean, not even making bags because yeah, you make bags, but there's a lot of other things that you have to be doing. I'm guessing you have to be innovating all the time and, uh, marketing your company and uh, doing all the things that come along with, uh, running a business. So what's been, I don't know what, what's been something that you kind of didn't think of, or has been more challenging than you, you had anticipated. Uh, yeah, I think more challenging than I anticipated would certainly be, um, kind of making your claim in the bikepacking world and how, how does rock guys contribute to that, um, to that world. And when you're first starting, um, you're new and there's other companies that are not new and fitting in, finding your place can be challenging. And I think that was challenging for me, um, to kind of what, what is it that rock guys wants to specialize in? Um, it's already a niche sport. Um, and it's not like we're just coming in and, doing this business to make money, we're trying to have an impact. And so how do you, how do you do that? Like, and how do you convey that mission to your customers? How do you convey it um, in a way that it shapes their projects that you spend time working on? Um, that's been really challenging um, to kind of, to kind of find that trajectory. I agree with you. I mean, I'm starting a podcast right now and, and it, it, I mean, it's just a white sheet of paper and it's me sitting across a guy talking Mm -hmm. and it can be anything I want it to be, but you know, having it take shape and figuring out what that shape wants to be. And I'm trying to achieve, I think a lot of the same goals you are, where I'm providing, um, more than I want to provide something quality and something that does more than is just like a product, you know, or, 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 or whatever, like. Um, I don't even know what I want it to be exactly. <laughs> so, and, and that's okay. I'm in the very infancy. Yeah. I mean, that's okay. I mean, Absolutely. The, 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 I think, you know, the, the thing that you're doing when you're doing it and you're starting that process right. and it takes time to figure that out, but you will never figure it out if you just think about it on paper. Right. Yeah. It definitely takes the doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've, I've owned a couple different businesses and so that's why I understand the challenges that come along with, um, operating your own business and, and, the, the challenges and the, and then the stress, you know, of, of, of having to do this every day and, and maybe the financial side of it, I, I don't know, but I know for me personally, you, you're not, you're not getting a steady paycheck. And so, uh, you're, you're wanting to work all the time, but at the same time, you got to balance that work and life, I think, right? Like, how are you, how are you balancing that right now? Because you got to be out there riding your bike, right? Yeah. So the short answer is I don't balance it. Um, I am, I'm not balanced at all right now. Um, and, and it's been like that ever, you know, ever since I moved into this workshop, it's, it's been 24 seven I've been on and, but I do need to find it. Absolutely. Uh, What, what is it like right now? What is your life like right now running a business? Uh, it's, well, it is, it's, I'm basically doing this work seven days a week. Um, and I don't want to put like an hour on 12, 12 hours a day or 15 hours, 18 hours a day, but you know, it's, it's long hours. Um, and, but I'm putting myself in a position where it's not always going to be like this. And so, uh, you know, this year was different than the first six months. Sure. Um, and next year is going to be different than this year. And, and finding that balance is really important. And that's what everybody tells me. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'm so focused on um, making this sustainable mm. where I'm willing to risk not having that balance right now, hopefully in the future though. Yeah. No, you got it. We all have to, have, I mean, I want to retire one day, but I can't yeah. just retire. I have to work towards retirement. And the same thing with your business is you're, you're going to have to put in probably more in the beginning and then 
yeah. as it goes on, hopefully it, it starts running itself a little bit. Yeah. Are you, but you got to get out and touch your gear every once in a while, right? Was, what kind of riding are you doing? Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess on the point of balance, I think in, recently in the last uh, six months, uh, I was fortunate to be able to hire uh, Greg and Aaron and Greg is here working now doing yep. some work in the background. Hey, Greg. Uh, the other, the other. Yes, yeah, so if you hear any banging around or whatever, we are in uh, Greg and Greg's shop right now, and they're making bags for you guys. Uh, but, but really, um, Greg and Aaron have really changed things dramatically in terms of how that balance is going to be achieved. And uh, I, I can't do any of this without them. And yeah. it's amazing how cl clear that is. Um, you know, it's only been six months, but the the change and the growth in those six months have been um, dramatically different and and better than when it was just a single person running the company. Absolutely. Plus, you have someone down here to talk to every once in a while. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> it's so important. Yeah, and uh, and then the uh, Eric is is the fourth member um, who volunteers time, which is really it's just really cool uh, when people volunteer. And Eric's not the only one who volunteers. I mean. But we had an intern that just basically rolled up to the shop and said, "Hey, I'm I'm bought into what you guys are doing. I like what you're trying to achieve, and I'm just here to help out." Yeah, and that's really cool. That's awesome. And that kind of says to me, like, we're doing something right yeah. if people are willing to to do that. Well, I don't want to. I mean, out of all the people I I came and I could have interviewed, um, I don't want to. Whoa! Didn't mean to hit that. Um, you know, I, I, I was, I, I identified you. I mean, I've been following, uh, what your company has been doing on a personal level. I, I've purchased some of your products. So I've been through your, your profit, uh, system for my wife's, uh, salsa Fargo. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. uh, when I found out we were coming here, I mean, you were the first person that I contacted and luckily you were gracious enough to uh, give me some time. So, um, yeah, I think, I think you are doing good things in the industry. I think people are identifying it. And I'm, you were talking about a little bit earlier about creating a company that um, is setting itself apart in already a niche sport. So I mm -hmm. wanted you to talk a little bit more about like, what, what do you think that you do well or what are you trying to do well? Yeah, we're trying a big goal of, of Rockus and, and me and mine personally is to help grow the sport. And so a good example of that, once once Aaron and Greg started, uh, we were able to have the time to, to launch the rental gear program. Yes. Uh, and that's something we just do right from our shop. We don't do anything um, via mail, but um, for Asheville and Western North Carolina and the people that come and visit here, they have a solution for gear to, to rent. It's super cheap, you know, dollars a day for a feed bag and they can get out and ride. And so we've had it going on for maybe two or three months now. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I felt like you just launched that recently. Yeah, it's, it's super recent, right? And we're, and we're kind of fearing a lot of the growing pains with this program out, but 100% um, of the people that have rented gear have been first time bike packers. Oh, cool. And that's something that like that's really important um, that we wanted to, to achieve and uh, we couldn't have done it otherwise. Um, gear talks are only so useful, um, you know, the media websites of that, um, their job is to inspire people to want a bike pack. Right. But then there's another element of the gear needs to be um, used and enable people to actually get on the trail. Well, that, yeah, that's great 
because it's not a cheap sport to get into. I mean, a, you know, bike and just your standard bike is, uh, if you want a decent one, it's going to cost you some right. money. Right. Um, and then once you get into all the, the bike packing gear and the bags and everything, it just, it adds cost. So mm -hmm. I think that when I heard y'all were doing that, thought that was a really good idea and I was curious how well it's been received. So it sounds like people are really taking advantage of it. Yeah, I think so. And it's, you know, maybe not as many people as I was hoping for, but it's certainly, um, I think it's going to be a, a slow process and, you know, we actually launched it at the end of the summer. Uh, and I'm hoping next spring it's really going to kind of grow. Yeah. Once and the word will have had chance to get out and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. And we also want to hit, um, get gear to our partners, um, that are involved in the bikepacking community in the Southeast and other capacities. So for a manufacturer, I think we're the only ones doing it now. Hopefully other manufacturers, um, will kind of maybe think about it and, and potentially do it in other States. Um, uh, but certainly I know there's a um, Mulberry gap in Georgia. They, they're kind of on our radar, um, Bluestone bike and run in Virginia, um, Harrisonburg are, are, are places where you want to get gear to. They're kind of becoming bikepacking hubs. Um, and, that'd be a good way to get FaceTime with, with new bike packers. And so you're just providing these companies with gear that they can rent out, um, to, uh, to other new bike packers. That's, that's or the traveling goal. bike packers. Cause you can't always take your gear everywhere you go. Yeah, that, that is the goal. Right. And so, uh, tomorrow I'm dropping gear off at the hub in Brevard, um, for a guy who's flying in, um, to take a trip with his, with his coach. Yeah. Um, with his, he's, he's training, uh, I believe he's training for something and, um, and that's, he has a solution now to get gear basically on demand and, you know, lead times are long for sure. Um, and if you're looking for, uh, a specific type of gear, you can try it out as well. So like our harness system is, is, um, pretty unique compared to other companies, but if you, but it doesn't work great on every bike, mm. you know, that's, that's a, that's a tall feat. And so if you want to try it out, I mean, you certainly can for, yeah. for minimal, minimal cost. I'm glad you brought up the bar jam. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually just picked up my bar jam. It's a product that I've been wanting to check out for a little while and, uh, perfect opportunity to pick one up. Um, but yeah, I was curious, I, I can't find anyone else who's making something similar to that. And it, it's such a, a simple, but intelligent design. Um, are you the only one doing that? Well, no, I don't think it So the, to kind of describe it a little bit, it's basically, it's a bolt on extension bar off, off of the, um, off the front of your handlebars right next to your stem. Um, and it leverages the, um, the crown of your fork and your head tube to stabilize your bag. And, uh, we're not the only one bolting a harness system to the handlebars. There's other companies doing that. Um, but, um, and that has becoming more and more, I guess the, the go-to is anything that bolts on is super solid. So yeah, I think companies are moving that direction and certainly that's where we wanted to get to. Well, what I like about that one is I have the, I, I think it's a salsa anything cage. It's the one that goes on the front Yeah, and it, it very well, I don't know if you've seen one, but it, it's very well designed, very sturdy, um, very robust, but with that comes a weight penalty. Right. Um, right. and so that's what I thought was neat about yours is it's getting the, getting it off the cables. It comes with the carbon bar. Um, and it's just very simplistic, but it looks like it's going to offer, offer some, um, you know, keep your gear from moving up and down and bouncing when you're going down some washboard roads, but also away from your cables, which are the two main things. And, uh, it, it one buckle in the front to open it up and, uh, take off the, the rock guy straps and you can get your, 
uh, dry leader or your uh, compression sack out of there mm-hmm. and, uh, and and you're good to go. Stuff it back in and throw it in and you're ready to go. So in terms of like simplicity and of the design and lightweight, I, I'm excited to try it. Yeah, it's, it's certainly um, the lightest, um, right now at least as far as we're aware, the lightest bolt-on um, system for your pre bar. But yeah, uh, wash washboard roads, I mean, they're great on, but it's also for technical single track. That's what it, we use it on. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, certainly Arizona Trail Race was was the motivating drive for that um, for that harness system. Um, and it was kind of fine-tuned in Pisgah here. Yeah. Well, yeah, I haven't uh, ridden in Pisgah yet. DuPont... Forest is not in Pisgah, is it? I know, yeah, it's not part of the national forest, but it's um it's the state and but the national forest is right across the the street. Okay. So yeah. it's similar terrain. I know it's it's very diverse. Yeah, okay. um it's I I would I think um, Pisgah really kind of holds its own um and certainly the, the the national forest here, but the that ranger district um where we're going to be tomorrow, that's that's kind of the iconic single track of um of Pisgah. Yeah. Is it a little more rough? I mean, if what, I, what I've learned from reading is it seems like it's a little more, yeah, just rough, rooty, rocky, uh, not exactly all polished, you know, man-made single track. Tell me if I'm wrong. No, I think I think that's a, a pretty good description. Um, yeah, it's a lot of roots. Uh, that's certainly one one of the the highlights of this area um, is are the, are the trees and the roots and the rainforest that's in. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking about that just from a product testing standpoint with the with the rain and, and the diverse terrain. I mean, you have a great opportunity to really like put your gear through the paces here. And the other thing about that, there's lots of really strong riders that are involved in that process too. Because sure. I don't really ride as much as I would like to, but, you know, having Eric and Greg and Aaron and the, and the networks that they're in, um, you know, they, they're around a lot of talented riders that, that push gear, um, basically to the limits all the time. Yeah. So, well, that's one really neat thing about this sport because it is so new. Um, and we're all in some regard, I think in our infancy with the sport that we're all, I think, helping to try to push it forward and to give positive feedback on, Hey, what's working on your gear and what's maybe not working. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think everyone's happy to pitch in and, and be a part of making, making this sport a better and more accessible, uh, thing for more people, hopefully. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that feedback is, is really crucial to, to, um, improving your products. Yeah. Um, nothing's personal. It's ne- it never, everyone's just trying to be helpful. So it's a good perspective to have. What are you seeing in the bike packing industry? Um, from a company standpoint, I mean, are y'all, are you seeing that we're just kind of in the beginning and you think it's going to just keep growing and growing? Um, where are we at? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm probably not the best person to reflect on the history of bike packing. I know it's, it's been happening, um, for a very long time. Uh, uh, you know, we, we'd had the bike packing summit in Colorado. We had a good presentation on the history of bike packing and, um, it's kind of cool to see that it's, it's evolution, but certainly in the last like 10 years, let's say is when the new age of kind of soft, good bags and mountain biking have really kind of merged together. Um, and certainly that started with a lot of, um, early companies, um, uh, such as Revelate, um, and even then the custom, uh, gear making like, um, J-Packs from Colorado, lots of Colorado brands mm-hmm. have been doing this, uh, for a very long time. Um, and those have kind of set the stage for what it is today. Um, I'll give you a little quick snapshot today. There are 34 
companies that do custom frame bag work in the entire world, uh, meaning they have a website where you can order custom frame bags from. Um, there's also 34 companies that do universal gear. So these are companies that don't do custom work, but they still might sell frame bags, uh, top two bags, feed bags, saddle bags. Um, so almost 70 companies total that are in. That number was much smaller five years ago when we started. Yeah. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it grows for sure. That sounds like kind of a lot, but also not. I guess it's, it depends on not. how many. Yeah, I don't think it, I mean, world in the world. Right. And of course, there's a lot of companies that just leverage social media to sell and to engage their communities. So yeah. it's it's not just the, those 17 companies aren't the only ones. No, I, yeah. yeah. There's other DIY guys that are that are doing their thing and helping Absolutely. people out and that's great too. Absolutely. How how has your company been uh, received in the bike packing community like with other bike manufacturers? Is there a pretty good vibe going on with everybody where you're all playing nice? Uh yeah, I mean it's 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 tough. I mean our perspective is just one perspective. So um yeah. you know I can't really speak for the community at large, but I for most part I think yes, people do respect each other and um yeah, I mean um taking designs from other people, well, I mean, who really owns these designs? That's always a hot topic, um, especially with when you're talking about companies that only exist of one or two people, um, is is who did what first. And um but most people generally are not really super concerned um, or I guess I don't know, overly distracted by that. Um, I think everyone does a pretty good job of respecting people's intellectual property because mm -hmm. nothing's patented here. We're just, you know, we, no one has the funds for that and the claims would be kind of really broad and kind right. of, or, or, or narrow and, and kind of useless. So we're just kind of self-policing each other. Um, and I think for the most part, we do a really good job of that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's still that small community, and I would hope that everybody would uh, kind of just get along and understand that we're all doing our best. You know, from from your perspective, I'm sure you you don't want to just come on the scene and just copy what everybody else is doing. You're you're trying to innovate and create your own unique stamp on on the market. So that that segues into what I was uh, one question I was going to ask you is like, what what products are you doing? Um, that yeah that set you apart like what are there some products that that you do that no one else does i know the space link just came out so yeah that's that's a that, that's a good example uh, of, of a product for sure is the space link which is a, a manufactured metal piece um, which is nice um to to have to complement um stability for 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 not only your top two bag but your feedbacks um but yeah so we are looking at um basically bolt-on is really what's important for single track uh, mountain biking and also anything that can stabilize. And so that's, that's what the space link does. Um, it kind of gives you that extra stability, but, but in terms of products, yeah, we do, we try to get our products to be unique and different, but also we want them to function. Um, and that's the kind of, you don't want to be unique just to be unique. Right. You know, it's gotta actually work. Um, but we also do, service oriented stuff that um, maybe not every company does. I mean, certainly the rental program is something that um, is new and no one else does. Um, but we also work with Dyneema uh, composite fabrics. Um, so basically ultra lightweight and ultra durable fabrics. Um, and we're making frame bags and a few other accessory bags with this. Um, this I think really is where we wanna go. Our focus um, for our company is really lightweight. Um, and I want to say racers, but, um, that's the kind of connotation that people associate Dyneema with. Um, but it's really just to be more comfortable to travel easier and lighter in the back country. Yeah. 
Um, so Dyneem is some, certainly something unique, not just, you know, custom makers can use any fabric, um, but to really kind of um, spearhead a product line. So that's our fiber flight series um, is, is something a little bit more challenging where you can just go on the website, don't have to talk to anybody. And then a Dyneema frame back shows up at your door. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the goal of, we want that Dyneema work to be just as durable and unique as our Mudlust series, which is X-Pac and Cordura. So that's your, that's the one I was just reading about on your website. How long have y'all been doing the Dyneema? We've been selling it for probably about eight months. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So st that's another new recent. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. you're doing a lot. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, I'm wondering how much time you're uh, building bags and but you also have to be innovating and at the same time you have to be finding the materials and, and, and yeah. testing them to see if yep. they work and, and all that kind of stuff. So where, where is most of your time spent? Well, it was, so that three and a half years before I went full time, I was basically doing all of the pipeline work. Uh, I wasn't really filling orders. I wasn't advertising. I wasn't trying to get on, you know, popular websites or anything. Cause I wanted my time for like, if I was to go full time. What value would I bring? And that was, that time was spent there. So, once I went full time, it was a balance of making money and um, putting out new products and, and new services. Um, that rental program took about two and a half years to get off the ground. Wow. And it didn't happen until Greg and Aaron came along. And that was the missing element that I didn't have before. Yeah. Um, and so that was, um, so a lot of the pipeline stuff, all the new products, you know, the Space Link, that was, that's been a year uh, in development. Um, and I try to spend, I think, I think there's lots of, you know, kind of metrics you can break down your day, but, um, 50% of my time is, is filling orders and making sure the business is running to make money. And then 50% is spent on creativity, uh, mm -hmm. or something that's, that's pipeline stuff. And whether it's not 50, 50, uh, it used to be like, a, you know, two years ago, a year ago. Um, it's probably more like 80, 20 now. <laughs> and it's like really hard to kind of keep an eye on that. Um, yeah. because you know, yeah, that's really important. And I'm trying to, to that, do better. Yeah, That's with. a balance because as you're growing, you're having more requests for custom bags, people like what you're doing. And so, you know, the volume increases there, but at the same time, you can't lose sight. I think of the fact that it's a growing industry and, and there's opportunities to keep, um, being relevant in, in, in the marketplace. Yeah, it's it's really tough for me to say no, and I I have to to learn that 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 what is distracting and or what fits the mission. I can tell you a scenario happened earlier this week where I did a bad job of that. I mean, we had a guy who wanted a custom frame bag to conceal an e-bike battery, and so it's not something we normally do. Um, he's not using it for bike packing, um, but it, it's it's business, and he was willing to pay the custom rate that we charge. And I said, yes, um, but after going through the process of getting it to him and the, the communication, um, it was so not worth my time in terms of, right. of money. You know, it was not worth the money that, that, um, I, uh, that I got and the time that I spent doing it. Um, and it also doesn't fit our mission. You know, we're, we're trying to promote bikepacking and, right. and we really want to do projects that align with that mission. I'm not, I'm not saying anything's bad with e-bikes or anything, right. but I just not why. We're not going to get into the e-bike debate, did I? You no, know, yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I, yeah, I probably shouldn't, but 
Uh, also, also, I mean, I, I have a friend whose dad is 93 who, who just bought an e-bike. I mean, he's been cycling up until now, but he just got an e-bike and like, I'm I'll, I'll put my, like, that's totally fine for me. Yeah. If I'm 80 and I still want to be out there on the trails and I hope I do, and the e-bike is going to allow me to get to them, then bring it on, you know, but for your you know, average bike packer, that is not going to be the bike that they're going to be riding and needing bags for. I mean, I, right. There's only so many hours in the day and what do you spend that time doing? Yep. And, um, I, I, I totally see the advantages of e-bikes and I see the disadvantages as well. Um, but that's not, that's outside the scope of what I do. Yeah. And, um, I think, the next e-bike comes along, I really kind of have to evaluate whether or not we need the business or whether or not it's going to be something that's going to be productive. Yep. So I hear you. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Spacelink since that is a brand new product. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, try to describe exactly what it is and what, what problem is it solving? Yeah. So if you have a short stem and that is low, like basically a slam stem low on your steer tube, um, usually you have no space to run a Velcro connection underneath it. Um, and if you do, it's it's positioned low in your top two bag. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of leverage, that's not a great spot to control um, flopping of that top two bag. And so what the space link does, it basically allows you to connect your top two bag um, any position along your steer tube. You can go above or below your your stem and that, um, if you do above, it leverages um, better off the bag, and so it doesn't flop as much. Um, and so it, it still accommodates steering. Um, it's just going to um, slide through the Velcro connection that's on the top two bag. Um, but it's also for that's that's one element, the top two bag. And then the second element is for feed bags. And so a lot of these full suspension bikes, the stem length is 35 millimeters, maybe 50 millimeters. Um, it's very short. And so there's no space to wrap your Velcro around those stems. And they're so short, the handlebar is there, and then there's your steer tube. Um, I9 just released their version of, of the um, their mountain bike stem, and it's something like 32, Greg, what is it, 32.5 millimeters? Yeah. It's so, I mean, it's it's basically as close as you can get to your steer tube. Yeah. Um, so where are you going to wrap your your feed bags around. Got it. Um, and that's where the space link comes in. You would put that either above or below your stem. Um, and then we are designing our feed bags with a vertical bar tack where you have a bolt on the space link. You undo that bolt, undo the, um, take out the spacer, and then just thread on the bar tacks of your feed bags and top two bag. Right. How ha, Have you done some pretty good uh, product testing with that in terms of the wear? Because it seems like it's, it's well designed to where those straps are really going to move it. Like it's all going to, allow for it to move independently and so it, it i would think it wouldn't wear out as quickly as well well yeah i mean that's a, a, a good point to bring up so our the rock guys top two bags um we use a replaceable velcro it's just it's just a it's a horizontal bar tag oh right yeah and so it just it's just velcro so it wears out no big deal if it if, one yeah on. and um you know we tested it without that to make sure it was um i guess not going to wear bar tacks webbing um but what we're learning is so if you're doing a different brand top two bag, we're not a hundred percent sure what's going to happen. It depends a lot of variables on how that would wear on a permanent bar tack. Um, so we have shipped, we have like a hundred of them out on the market right now and not all of them are with rock guys bags. And so we're basically, um, 
we're going to wait and see um, if that does become a problem with certain brands or certain bar tech styles. Uh, I know the the thread of your bar, the the density of your bar tack um, can matter because um, they just pull in that bar tack in a different way than uh, a Velcro strap okay. would pull. Yeah. Um, but for so right now you can only buy it with Rock Geist gear, um, and to because we we can stand behind that. We know for sure it was designed for this gear. Well, you're saying you can only buy it for Rock Geist gear, but you can use it with other bike bags, right? You're just not saying right we don't know if, if exactly how it's going to work yeah i mean the fit of it really we want to be able to tell people after a hundred or you know ten thousand miles on brand x this is what it looks like yeah and then you can decide if that's appropriate or not man you love that long-term stuff on your website when you go through and you're looking at your fabrics you don't just put well i have this fabric and this fabric and these are the colors and that's great but you also have this is what the product looks like or the fabric looks like after yeah some aging yeah after some aging i thought that was really neat you know yeah and that's the challenge here is um you know bike packers some would have one product see a hundred miles over a year. Other people that hundred miles happens in a day. Mm-hmm. And so really we're and hundred miles is super short, but we're looking, it's really hard to get data on, you know, a 10,000 mile test period. Um, and that's the advantage of having a network of athletes and riders that you can call upon. You know, I'm certainly not riding that much, um, but maybe somebody who's training for the tour divide, um, they are right. So, so, um, tell me about the, the photo fit. Um, I, I actually went through the process whenever we ordered a, uh, custom frame bag for my wife's, uh-huh. uh, Salsa Fargo. She has an extra small frame and it, I mean, it was just impossible to find anything on the market that would like fit it just stock. Yeah. So had yeah. to go custom, um, called you up, went through the, on, on the process from the customer side, it's super easy. I mean, you, you put out some instructions like take a, a level picture, uh, tape, a tape, a, uh, a, a measuring tape to mm-hmm. your top two, mm-hmm. take a couple pictures and send it to you. And then three, four weeks later, there's a bag in the mail and ours fit great. I mean, it fit the space perfectly. So take us through your side of that. Yeah. I think, uh, it'd be cool to kind of touch on the history of that. So I think yeah. for, for custom makers, I think rogue Panda was the first person to be doing that. Um, basically using photos of your bike to, to, um, do your frame bag. The alternative of photos is tracing a cardboard. I think we've all heard of that. We've all mm-hmm. seen it. Um, it's slow and cumbersome and relying on customers interpretation of their frame is really not a good way for custom gear. Uh, and, and Nick from Rogue Panda has been doing that for a long time. And then I know Defiant Pack was also doing it. And I was kind of watching those two companies and seeing how useful it was for them. And then that's, that's once um, we really started launching our frame bag and pushing our frame bags, we switched over from cardboard to using the photos. Um, Photo Fit is our branded kind of interpretation of that process. And I think everybody does it a little bit differently. Um, more or less, it depends on the photo. Um, but what you do with that photo, I think every company does something different from then on. Okay. Can you tell us about your process from? Yeah, sure. I mean, basically we have a, a set of instructions. So we expect the photos to fall under a certain, uh, or look a certain way. And what we, we have done this so many times now we can tell, um, photos are never perfect. Um, 
there there always going to be something that you wish that could have been shot just a little bit differently. Um, and we have seen so many of them now. We can look at a photo and think, okay, I need to correct because this photo is shot from this angle or this orientation or, you know, this frame is pushing this way or they're using a certain, like the cell phone camera is different than a full frame camera. Yeah. Someone use their wide angle lens on their DSLR. Yeah. And, and we see it all the time. Yeah. yeah. And we now have gotten to the point where we're not, we can, we can see those errors ahead at a time um, using the photos. And uh, it's really nice, but it's, it's been um, a long process to kind of figure out how to do it well. Yeah. How many companies are offering a, a similar service to that? I, I don't know for sure, but I can tell you if your company is doing any type of volume, um, you, they're using photos. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I your uh, the one I ordered from you was the first time I'd ever gone through the custom frame bag uh, process. I've been fortunate with my frames that you know stock stuff has actually fit it really well. But once I started to get my wife's bike. Once I finished my bike and made it all nice, mm -hmm. then I had a whole nother Fargo sitting in my garage that needed some love. So, uh, that's been a lot of fun. Cause then I got to pimp out her ride too. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the man, yeah, she got, I, I actually ordered your bag, uh, for her bike as a, as a surprise, as a present. And, uh, she, she freaking loved it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's great to hear. No, it was really good. So, um, tell me a little bit about, um, lead times in your industry. I'm, I'm curious in this day and age of like instant gratification where you go on Amazon and it's at your house the next day. Yeah. What, what's that like? Do you, do you fight that at all or customers pretty cool and understanding? Um, uh, everybody is, um, up to a point, you know, like what I've learned is you have to tell people, um, information so they can expect something. If, if a lead time is 10 weeks, but they know it's 10 weeks, then they're okay with it. Yeah. But if you tell people the lead time is six weeks and they don't get until 10 weeks, then that's a problem. It's um, not good for anybody because then it puts a unrealistic time pressure on you. So you're stressed out about it. They're yeah. upset. They don't know. So yeah, I found just in life, uh, setting appropriate expectations and mm -hmm. just being real with people, people really do respond well to that typically. And, yeah. if, and if 10 weeks isn't going to work for them, then there's another company that might be able to service them Absolutely. or something, you know, and yep. not a knock on y'all, but I think it's probably, you know, I'm stepping on a limb, but from your business perspective, I'm guessing it's more important that you are honest with that customer, let them know what it is um, rather than have them be disappointed whenever they're. Yeah. I mean, that that's really, that's really hard for me to, to have to deal with when somebody misses a trip because their gear didn't arrive in time. Oh yeah. I mean that that's that's heavy, you know. Yeah. So I, I you don't want to get that email or that phone call. Yeah. And I mean right now um, there's we're we're past it on a few of our orders and um, you know we're trying to get them out as soon as possible yeah. while still keeping the quality on point. So um, it's sorry to any customers who's I'm delaying their bags right now. <laughs> I mean get, yeah, getting things on time is is tough and really the balance is you're trying to anticipate your workload and sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you don't. Yes. Um, like this, that e-bike frame bag sent me back, um, pretty much a full day and I lost a full day of production because of that frame bag. Right. Um, and that's just one event. If you have two, you know, if, if somebody comes and, um, you know, wants to do a podcast, right. <laughs> and, but you, so you have to plan for that. You have yes. to make sure like, you know, this is fun for me. It's worth it um, for me to stay late, you know, at another time to make up for this. Right. Uh, and that's kind of like the balance of like doing things that are 
I don't know, I guess, you know, or maybe it's R&D or maybe it's giving a talk at a brewery. But those things are fun and important to do, but you also have to get, you gotta get your stuff shit shipped. Yeah, <laughs> things have to get to the USPS, yeah. So what is your lead time right now? Six weeks right now. Six weeks. Yeah. What is it? What's your, I, I know it changes and shifts as the year goes on. So what is it like a three to six week or what do you, what do you shoot for? Yeah. And that's really, we, we try to keep it responsive to what we have in the queue. Um, and also who's around like Aaron is in Wyoming, um, last for all of October. And I had a few frame bags by myself. Yeah. Um, uh, and that was tough. And I, like, and I haven't done that. Um, she spoiled me. We we worked together for probably about two months and then she left for a month. Um, she's coming back in November. So we're going to get back on track when Aaron gets back. Awesome. Um, What's she doing there? Uh, she's cooking for an outfit that does, uh, tours in the mountains. And I could be real. I don't know. She's, I know she rides horses <laughs> and it facilitates some kind of crazy Wyoming uh, uh, camping if it, experience. If it doesn't have bikes in it, I'm not interested. That's no. what I tell my wife all the time. I'm like, okay, and where are we putting bikes into this equation? <laughs> yeah, just four legs and yeah, a lot of food. Yeah, horses scare <laughs> me, so I'll stay away. Yeah, I just, I, I wanted to touch on that because I think um, I've, I have owned small businesses before and I think it's good for people to understand. I mean, you really are just like a, I want to say mom and pop shop, you know, but mm -hmm. I mean, it's you and a, a few employees here and um, making bags by hand. I mean, you got sewing machines all around us and equipment all around us and materials and fabrics. And, uh, there's, uh, Greg, uh, Greg number two. <laughs> yeah. Greg, what's your last name? Clemmer. Clemmer. Greg Clemmer's behind us, uh, doing something. I don't even know what he's doing, but I know it has to do with, uh, making bags. So, you know, I just think it's, um, you know, hopefully from like your business standpoint that people understand that, you know, you guys really are in here, um, working as hard as you can to produce a quality product, but quality products take time sometimes, you know, they do. And, you know, I love it when, when people really understand what's happening to their frame bag, but I also understand it's not our customer's job to understand how hard it was to get that product. They just, you know, they paid yeah. money. They want a, a bag that, is is designed how they want design hits all the mar marks for the features they don't really care and they shouldn't care what we went through to get that done um but it is really nice when i think it's i think it's interesting personally so maybe yeah, other people will as well yeah i mean but you know if if somebody you know gives me attitude for for getting gear late i don't blame them at all no i hear you, you know that's well, it's it, on me yeah no th and that is on you i get that um because if you tell someone that's going to be here yeah. on this day, then it is your job as a company to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, then you got to buy them a Starbucks gift card. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about your, uh, your name rock guys, mm -hmm. where that came from. What does it mean? Yeah. I, I, the priority for naming the company was it was two syllables and the domain is free. Or it was available. Was I'm gonna say free, yeah. but it was available. Um, and so the <laughs> rock guys hit that. Those two um, really important marks. Uh, and then the third element was I wanted it to be a name that um, kind of meant something to me personally. Um, and that the Geist is a German word for ghost. And that um, is a, that kind of reflects on my my experience when I first uh, uh, inspired to learn how to sew was when I was living in Germany. Um, so I wanted I had some kind of German connection in the name. Uh, and so what it means, the spirit of the rock. And I had a really kind of, I guess, transformative experience, bikepacking. Um, and I think one element that makes 
the sport so unique is the geography, the terrain, where you are doing these routes. Um, a lot of bike packing is off-road, um, single track or gravel roads out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so the rock kind of embodies the that kind of connection the sport has with people. Mm-hmm. Tell me about Germany. You were bikepacking there? Yeah. So, I, well, not in Germany, but I also um, uh, traveled a bit there. And um, um, part of my, my grad school was, uh, was presenting at a conference in Switzerland. And that was my first bikepacking trip was um, after the conference, I basically rented a bike and had an Osprey backpack and just rolled out into the Alps on a trail that I had GPS coordinates for. Um, and I was trying to get to the Matterhorn um, from, or that was in Zermatt. And so it was um, a three day trip away from that. And that was my first time like, actually bike packing. How many miles? Oh man, I don't, I don't know. Should I say kilometers? Um, you know, when I, and this is the thing. I mean, I, at the time, I knew exactly how many miles. Um, but what I should have paid attention to was the elevation, because that is a yes. much more important uh, fact uh, for bike packing. Yeah. Um, and I did not, and that got me into uh, some trouble. But um, certainly, I good learning. Real quick, my wife and I two months ago went to Colorado. We're from Texas, and um, reached out to some people there. And uh, again, bike packing community was great. I just posted up on Facebook and said. Hey, I'm looking for a route in this area. And I had so many people send me routes. I mean, it was awesome. But originally I was thinking I'd do a hundred miles, you know, an overnighter 50 a day, mm-hmm. no big deal. I mean, a, a good challenge, but you know, and I'd failed to really look at the elevation and, and, and the fact that we would be starting at 9,000 feet and climbing to 11,000 feet. And, yep. um, but it was, it was a great experience. And now I have that as kind of a, 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 a baseline of, okay, like when we were coming here, I'm like, all right, we're going to be at 3000 feet and how yeah. many miles are we going to do? And so as I've gone on, I've kind of tried to become smarter about actually looking at all the data for a route and not just the miles. And the hard part is terrain is the other metric that's important. True. If it's a metric, I don't know the metric, but it's terrain. Like if it's, if you're dealing with a snow covered pass, mm. even though it may be relatively, um, I guess short distance over, you know, not much elevation gain or loss, but if there's snow on the ground and you're dragging your bike a mile and a half through it, that's going to slow you down than if you're just cruising on gravel. So yeah. it's all part of the sport. Yeah. It's and unknowns. Yeah. That's figure them out. Yeah. As you go and keep a loose plan. That's what I've learned. So before you did this trip, um, your first bike packing trip, had you already been uh, hiking and camping and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, I was. I think I was a pretty average hiker up until then, yeah. um, and I still am. I don't really hike that much um, today either. But I I'm comfortable enough to start the trip, I guess, uh, which is, I guess, was all that mattered then. Yeah. Yeah. Had you heard about bikepacking before you did this? No. And while I was doing it, I still didn't know what bikepacking was. You didn't know it was. I had no idea. Yeah. And then not until I got back uh, to the States, um, my buddy, um, Eric from Arizona, like shot me an email. I was like, hey, there's this thing called the Arizona Trail Race. Sounds pretty wild. Do you want to try it? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's what bikepacking is. Yeah. (laughs) That's wild. So you went... You went bikepacking, not knowing what bikepacking was, and then got back to the States and realized you were actually doing a sport. Yeah. And, and now you own a company that is in that sport. And and when I was when I first learned about it, the, the sport was didn't just start. I mean, it was been going on oh, sure. yeah. you know, a long time. I was just totally ignorant about it. Yeah, I've been in I mean, I've yeah. been riding bikes, you know, since I was four and 
I recently found out about bikepacking, I'm guessing about four years ago, where I'm like, oh man, I've always loved outside, loved camping, grew up doing all those things. Mm -hmm. Um, But my favorite thing to do is ride a bike. And whenever I can put, you know, being outside and riding a bike together, I'm in heaven. You know, that. And and that's a lot of our customers are are experiencing that or experiencing that. I mean, we get emails from people that they're taking their first trip ever. Yeah, and that's cool. It's cool to be a part of that process of kind of the whirlwind of how do you get started, the mistakes you want to avoid, and the prep that goes into your first trip. Uh, and that's it's cool. It's cool to be a part of that. Oh, it's fun. I love the process of of I don't know figuring it all out from the gear to the routes to the destinations. Um, it's, it's all a lot of fun, mm-hmm. a lot of fun to me. And I, I think the thing that I, I really enjoy about it is I love having a bike with all my stuff that I need on it and then just going, you know, and, and, you know, we were out in Colorado at 11,000 feet and I had altitude sickness and, you know, I'd poorly planned some of the details of that trip, maybe, um, just from inexperience. Uh, it, there's something, um, you're more connected to the experience in the land when you're just out there on your own. You know, you can't, you can't hop in your car and, and just go home. Right. You're out there. It's a, it's a very humbling and a beautiful, uh, experience. I think definitely humbling. Yeah. Humbling. I mean, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, and making mistakes. I mean, they're It's a great way to learn is, is to mess up for sure. And that's, and that was the bulk of my first, well, I'm still, even today, I mean, it's, it's making mistakes on trips. And yeah. Yeah. You're never, uh, it's always different terrain. It's going to be different weather. Mm-hmm. Um, mechanicals can happen. Snow can happen like you were saying. And so, mm-hmm. uh, there, you're not always going to come into it being prepared for everything, but I think going into it with the mentality of that and being open to the idea that, all right, we're going to have to be loose. We're going to have to kind of go with the flow and whatever nature gives us, we're going to have to go with that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's a big part of the mentality I've learned. I, I'm somewhat analytical. I like to figure everything out, you know, but, uh, I'm learning that, you know, with this sport, you get a lot more enjoyment out of it when you can just let that go and just whatever it is, just enjoy that experience. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and that, that can be tough for people. I have, I had friends that are, are, don't enjoy that. They want to know everything that's going to happen. They yeah. want plans and follow those plans. Um, but it, no, you don't know what's up the next mountain. Or well, I always plan, but you got to be, uh, yeah, I do at least, you know, but there's that saying, hike your own hike, ride your own bike, whatever, you know, there's a lot of ways to participate in a sport and they're all great. We're all doing the same thing. Uh, on mm-hmm. one level or another. I mean, we all obviously love to be outside and riding our bikes. Right. And we might do it in a little bit different way, but we're all essentially doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that first uh, Arizona trail race. That is one that coincidentally I've put on my bucket list for 2020, the 300. Nice. Um, uh, I, I don't think I'm ready for the 750. I, I still am in that zone where I enjoy racing and competing, but I'm really more interested in like the experience of it, you know? And so I don't want to completely torture myself. I'd like to enjoy it too. So yeah. Tell me about your first experience with the AZT. Well, I'll I'll tell you, I don't think anyone's really ready for the 750. Okay, good. (laughs) I mean, I think that when you just, you, you just do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Um, exactly. But I mean, what you're talking about, like it's, it's people experiences. Yeah. For racers. I mean, I don't think I'm not fast at all, Mm -hmm. um, but I'm still pushing myself to my limits, just like the guy who is in, you know, 
fifth place or first place. They're pushing their limits. Right. So it's kind of cool. You're all in your own world, doing your own thing, um, experiencing the mental, I guess, parts of your mind that you don't see trail riding or even kind of touring. Um, and how fast you're going is really irrelevant, you know, but the yeah. fact that you're, you're really kind of pushing yourself and yes. that that's a unique experience. And I, I mean, I don't care at all how well I do and probably cause I'm slow, but, um, I'm in the same boat. Yeah. But, <laughs> If it, uh, I'm it there doesn't to, matter. I'm there to push myself personally. Yeah. And it sounds like maybe you're saying the same thing that it's uh it's it's just you against you really. Yeah, there's other people there experiencing it, but yeah. You're all going through the same things and it's just you figuring it out for yourself. Yep. Yeah, I mean, touring is is certainly um just as hard. I want to say touring is easy. I mean, you know, I I toured the uh, Colorado Trail and that was tough for me because I was carrying all this extra stuff I normally wouldn't ride with. Right. And that made it really challenging. Um, a lot of camera equipment and, and it's just like, man, this, I'd rather just race it. You know, when I say race it, but basically ultralight and, and, and long nights in the saddle. I really enjoy night riding and, I do too. and it's like, so I, you know, touring is not, it's different, but, um, I wouldn't say it's easier. No, I wouldn't say it. Yeah. I, I haven't done much touring really. I haven't, I've done, I've done racing and um, then lightweight kind of almost touring, but you know, like I'm, I'm trying to get to a destination. You, a lot of times, like I want to get to where I'm going so I can have time to really yeah. enjoy Hang the out. place that I'm there and, and enjoy the people that I'm there with and stuff. So mm -hmm. I'm usually like not in a hurry, but you know, I want to get there and be able to enjoy it yep. before you have to hop, hop on the saddle and Mm -hmm. I say have to get to, <laughs> you get to ride, uh, hop on the saddle and, and do it again the next day. Uh, so how'd you do your first AZT? I think at last place, um, or maybe second to last. You were the Lantern Rouge? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I beat everyone who didn't finish. I mean, that, uh -huh. <laughs> if that counts, but, um, it absolutely counts. I did a race once. It was 41 degrees and rain. I mean, rain the whole time in Texas, 41 and raining is, you know, I, I don't think that's good conditions anywhere, Yeah. but I got second place. I think there was two people that, yeah. <laughs> that showed up. Yeah. I told her I beat everybody that, uh, was on their couch, you know, watching football right. or whatever at that it was that day. So yep. again, it's, it's about you and your own personal journey, but I, I guess I didn't mean like what place you came in, but just what was that experience like from you, for yeah. you? Um, it was uh, really humbling. I mean, for sure. I mean, um, I knew I didn't know what to expect. I've never really bike packed before that for more than one night. And I took, I think five nights on the 300. And so, I mean, I was really slow. Um, it sounds pretty good to me. Well, well, I guess it's relative to the other people, but, um, it, yeah, it was, uh, a really painful experience. Um, and, um, but really kind of, I never felt anything like it. I never experienced anything like that. Um, it kind of opened my eyes to kind of how awesome that sport is and, um, how awesome that terrain is. I mean, Arizona is incredible. Um, especially being on the East coast growing up, um, yeah, I grew up in New York, which is really looks the same as North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Um, and showing up in the desert, I've never been to Arizona before. I never ridden with a full moon like that. Um, it's the stars. Just, yeah, I mean, you don't even you don't even really need um, torches at night. You just it depends how fast you're going, obviously. But yeah, it's 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 incredible experience. Yeah, 
We have uh, Big Ben. We're actually planning a bike packing trip and a, a new route that we're going to release in uh, Big Ben uh, State Park there in West Texas. Um, but yeah, desert riding is is special, and that's one thing that's attracted me to the AZT is uh, you know those starry nights and the moon and, and yeah. everything. It's uh, it's completely different, you know, uh, than where we're at right now. And where we're at right now is unlike anything I've ever ridden, you know, I've been to Moab and Colorado and done some desert riding and mountain riding and stuff. But this is the first time I've ever been, um, really up to the Northeast. Like I've mm -hmm. been a couple of times in my life flying in for business. Um, but definitely the first time I've ever ridden my bike here and really like enjoyed it. And it is just dense, you know, everywhere you look, it's lush and green and there's water and rivers. And, um, right now the leaves are changing mm -hmm. and it is, I mean, it's just, picture postcard perfect everywhere you look yeah it's, it. it's certainly uh unique uh it, its own way absolutely yep so how many times have you done the azt i've done it 303 times and the 750 once how how was the 750 uh it, the 750 was uh i don't think i've ever been in more pain in my life um <laughs> getting through that grand canyon um yeah it's it's a it's a tough race but uh it's incredible. It's just the you know much longer um, version than the three hundred, uh, and you know there's certainly I mean there's rider I I was riding with a guy who's done the seven fifty almost ten times maybe ten times, and so I mean that's the kind of draw it has for for these riders and it's that's not a I mean that's probably I don't know the race has been going on um, probably about that maybe ten years or maybe a little bit longer but. Um, that, that terrain has always been there, right? And people have always been experiencing that, um, whether on bike or on foot. And it's cool to be a part of these historic trails, like the Grand Canyon, you know? It's like, oh yeah, it, it's incredible to just to kind of see that um, from any perspective. And, so, that, and that is a hike a bike section. I mean, literally. Mandatory, yeah. yeah. And how, how long is that hike? It's 23, 24 miles. Oh, that's substantial. Uh, from, from rim to rim, yeah. So that's all that adds a whole nother element to the bike packing when you actually have to put your bike on your back. Yeah. Did yeah, you design I, a special pack for that? Or? No, I was an idiot and just grabbed some Osprey shoulder straps off a bag and um, Aaron sewed just the pouch for the Velcro onto those shoulder straps. That's all I had. I had no waist belt, no um, hip hip belt or any anything. Uh, ended up carrying my wheels on my backpack with all the gear and then i carried my frame and my arms um the whole way hmm. so it was yeah. it was it was borderline torture i mean i was that, uh, yeah that doesn't sound fun it, yeah it's and but even if you have a, a you know this external frame backpack like the old school boy scout backpacks oh yeah i mean those are i, I think a, i think that's I'm an a, eagle scout yeah there you go yeah you probably got a couple of them in your uh -huh, basement absolutely yeah. but I, mean, I think that's probably the the best way to do it. Um, but you know, I would say you're not, it's still gonna be painful. I mean, but you, then you have to carry that big frame bag the whole time, right? Well, or, you would, what other people have done and they ship it to like Flagstaff. Okay. And That's then they, I'm wondering. yeah. And then they, and then once you top out on the North rim, it's a, it's really a, a, an awesome ride to Utah from there. Um, super flat flowy yeah. and you actually hit pavement with a snow detour, um, to a, you know, for, I don't know, maybe 30 miles or so, um, or maybe, maybe less than that, but it's pavement and then really awesome single track to the border. And so if you want to carry that frame backpack during that time, it's not a problem, or you could just stash it 
um, at the, the town right outside of the canyon and just pick it up on your way home. I got you. So when, when did you do the 750? The uh, last, the last race. Oh wow! Yeah. So what are you? When are you gonna? Are you gonna be doing it again? What's next on your? I don't list? think so. I think I think the one the one experience in the sympathy was enough for me. Um, I I really want to focus the rest of my um, bike packing here in uh, Western North Carolina and the Southeast in general. Um, and we're going to be doing a lot of route routes, uh, sub twenty four hour routes here. Yeah. And so that's my next focus. Uh, for the foreseeable future. Well, yeah, you, uh, that's a perfect segue because um, you were kind enough to invite me on an, a sub 24 hour ride that y'all are just now going to be releasing. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be doing that tomorrow and Sunday. Can you tell, what can you tell us about that route? I don't. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, well, I guess the whole theme of this project is just, they're going to be shorter rides. Um, for those who are not familiar with the sub 24 hour overnights, the S 24 O, those are routes you can do in one night and generally less than 24 hours, hence the name. So they're much shorter. They're not big. You don't need a lot of time to do it. And so, um, it's really going to complement our rental program. And so if you come to us and haven't been bike factory for, this is a great, these routes are a great way to do a shakedown ride and just kind of see what it's all about. Yeah. Before you're, you know, th- three days into a 10 day trip somewhere. Um, and so the one I'm doing, guessing you'll be doing like almost rating them like this one's a little bit easier. So if you have someone coming in, they're looking to do their first ever bikepacking yeah. trip, mm-hmm. you have some good maps, you have information for them and, and hopefully try to make it a good first experience, I would guess. Right. And I think a lot of them are going to be, you know, we're going to kind of advise based on your level of fitness, not necessarily your level of experience because only so much can go wrong in one one night, yeah. right? And so it, I think they're all safe. There's real lots of bailout options. You're never gonna get yourself in the trouble. Um, that's like that's way what, way over your head. One thing I was noticing when we were riding is a lot of fire roads that are kind of connectors. Is that mm-hmm. consistent throughout? In some parts, it's, yeah. I mean, there's some some areas of the forest where they're kind of more isolated than others, but nothing. You know, it's and that's a in the southeast. It's it's much different than out west where. You know, there's lots of towns and people and little, whether it's, a, you know, a store or, you know, you have cell service up that mountain. You know, these things are generally closer together on the East Coast than out West. Yeah. Um, and so you can only really get so far in one day of riding, you know. Um, but yeah, it's a very dense network um, out here, um, which is not to say it's similar, but it's... It, Everything is well connected. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, tell me about this uh, route we're doing tomorrow. I don't know much about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, so what, what we um, died on and, and Greg and Eric kind of put this route together. It's uh, it's fire road and a little bit of single track to connect some fire roads together. And we're going to start at the hub, which is uh, one of the bike shops uh, just um, in Brevard. And it's right on the edge of the forest. We're going to roll in. Um, and They also have a brewery. Yeah, it's, it's a cool spot. I don't, I don't think you can not mention the brewery. I mean, it's, it's you know, well, yeah. I mean, this part of North Carolina is kind of infamous for that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. great beer everywhere you go. Yeah. So if you're into that, this is definitely a, the spot. But that's not to say that's like, the full culture there, you know, there's obviously, it's, you know, it's not just beer and, and single track. So, uh, <laughs> but if you're into that, this is the, definitely the place. What's, uh, what's better in this area, single track or bike packing opportunities? 
I'd say both. I mean, put them together. I mean, that that's in the way I think the best routes, the bike pack or single track. And I think, um, if you're come from a trail riding background, that's what you're going to appreciate more. Yeah. Um, if you're maybe a road biker, maybe you're looking for gravel and, um, and there's certainly choices here, you know, you, you know, so we're going tomorrow, we're going to be in the, um, the ranger district, um, which is, um, some of the more single track, um, I guess, uh, accessibility for Pisca, but if you want it for gravel, it's still there. And also you can do a lot of gravel riding, uh, east of Asheville in the Linville Gorge area. Yeah. There's a route. I know an S 24 route yeah. that's uh bikepacking.com has published there. Um, we were actually planning on riding it, but it rained. Um, so I'm glad to have another back backup route that you generously provided. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was bummed. I brought four bikes, you know, both the mountain bikes and both the, uh, the adventure bikes or gravel bikes or whatever. And, um, man, I, I'm actually going to get to use it. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Awesome. I hear there's a bonfire too. Yeah. So Pisco Productions is having their double dare race this weekend and we're basically going to uh, crash their, their late night bonfire and, um, kind of connect with some of those people doing that race. Yeah. Sounds like a good time. This place is awesome. I mean, what would what would you tell someone about uh, Brevard, Asheville, North Carolina area? Um, I mean, that's thinking about coming here. I'm thinking uh, mountain bike with some bike packing bags attached to it, and you'll be a happy camper. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for like a, a bike recommendation, um, really anything goes. There's going to be terrain that's going to fit your bike. For sure, no matter what you have. Whatever you like to do, yeah. bring that bike. I brought all mine. Yeah. I like to do it all. But, I mean, just like the gear here, you can also rent bikes. You know, there's lots of shops. You can pick up a full suspension or, you know, a gravel bike and do some exploring. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to try to provide a lot of GPS routes in the future. Um, but certainly just grab a map and go at it. There's no reason to say you have to do one of these routes. Um, and that's, if you're in exploring and kind of figuring stuff out yourself and getting lost, that's a great place to do it. You have a great opportunity here. Yep. Awesome, dude. Well, I appreciate so much, uh, you letting me come and talk to you. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you were really wanting to put out there? I don't think so. I think, I think really enjoyed the, the time. Um, and, uh, certainly, um, if you are in the area, feel free to come by the shop and book your head in and say hello. And how do people, uh, find you on the interweb and all that? For sure, yeah. Our uh, our website is rockgeist.com. Our Instagram is just at rockgeist. And you can email me personally at greg at rockgeist.com. And he will respond. I've emailed him quite a bit and uh, Absolutely, yeah. good at communication. I'll give him that. Awesome, dude. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a lot of fun on my end as well. And I'm looking forward to our ride tomorrow. Me too. All right, bud. Thank you so much for tuning in and thank you again to Greg for taking the time to sit down with me. If you enjoyed this show and really enjoyed this type of content and would like to see more of it, do me a huge favor, take a moment, like it, subscribe to the channel so you know whenever I have new uh, episodes that come out and I've got some great guests lined up. And if you really, really liked it, 
head over to Patreon. Uh, details are in my show notes and send a few dollars my way. I am committed to doing only in-person interviews and that takes time, that takes money, um, but I think that it will result in better content and that is my goal. So um, if you'd really like to support me in the podcast and show some love, you vote with your dollars. So uh, I appreciate that. And thanks again. We'll see you next time.